Hey, everybody out there in the sweltering and scorching wastelands of the podcast universe. I am the maestro, Kevin Crane. It is time for The Fortress of Rock, episode 106, taping here on August the 25th, 2023. As always, glad to have you aboard. I don't know how hot it is where you are, but here in the upper Midwest, mid-90s, of course, the weather people on the TV and the radio, because they have to manipulate everything and twist the truth, it feels like 197 degrees out. Give me a break. Okay, it's 95 degrees out. But you're not factoring in the humidity and the winds, it's 95 degrees out. We can survive a couple days of 95 degrees. But it's still hot. As is, nice segue, this episode of The Fortress of Rock. Later on in segment three, I will make my case, make my argument, that this day, August the 25th, is the most significant day on the calendar in rock and roll history. But you're going to have to hang out until segment three for that. Because you know what segment one is all about. It's all about news of the world. Our tribute to Freddie Mercury and Queen. And oh boy, right off the bat, time for the maestro to go off on a rant about Freddie Mercury and Queen. The latest edition of Queen's Greatest Hits will not feature the song Fat Bottom Girls. Why, you may ask? Well, of course, you know. In this cancel culture, PC wasteland that we all live in right now. It's body shaming. How dare you? You body shame overweight women. Because, of course, this version of Queen's Greatest Hits is supposed to be more kid-friendly. So that, ostensibly, is why they're leaving fat bottom girls off of it. And I usually support ultimateclassicrock.com as one of my go-to sources, and of course I'll acknowledge them later. But their article about this is trash. It's absolute trash. And the writer should be embarrassed because he tries to make the point that this isn't about cancel culture, and everything he says in the article proves the point that it is about cancel culture. Because, let me point something out to you kids. You kids, who supposedly they're making this kid-friendly version of Queen's Greatest Hits 4. So we're leaving off Fat Bottom Girls, but we're keeping... Bohemian Rhapsody. And you guys, I hope you realize I'm trying to prove the point by disproving the point. I don't want Bohemian Rhapsody 
canceled. I don't want it taken off the greatest hits. I want fat bottom girls on the greatest hits. But we all know the lyrics to one of the greatest rock songs of all time, Bohemian Rhapsody. Mama just killed a man, put a gun against his head, pulled the trigger, now he's dead. That's okay for the kids, though. That's all right. The kids can handle that in this age of gun violence. But talking about a woman with a big behind, oh, oh, but I like big butts. That's okay, because that's a different cultural viewpoint on the subject, right? And the hypocrisy of this is just, it's mind-blowing. Because again, not only have I shown you that Bohemian Rhapsody's lyrics are far worse, far more intense, far more challenging for a kid than fat bottom girls, but where is the irony that a gay man is singing about fat bottom girls? So you're canceling a homosexual man singing about girls with big behinds. This is all a joke. This world cannot sustain itself. We have got to stop this. The trolls living in their mother's basements, they have got to stop with this garbage. The elitist jerks in Hollywood and on the East Coast have got to stop with this. Stop trying to wrap everybody in bubble wrap. Stop trying to protect everybody. Yeah, the meek shall inherit the earth. Remember that? That's what's happening right now. The meek, the spineless, those who can't handle criticism, they're the ones who are going to take over this world, and then it will collapse in a ball of flame. No, I'm not talking about Oppenheimer. So we've got cancel culture with a vendetta now against Queen. How about what Lou Graham recently said? Chiming in with the current lead singer for Foreigner, Kelly Hansen, about the hatred, the vitriol the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has for Foreigner. Now, Lou Graham, of course, the lead singer for Foreigner in their classic era, singing pretty much all of their biggest hits. But Kelly Hansen does a great, great job as he's taken over for Lou Graham. And he he is now the lead singer of Foreigner, even though they really don't have a lot of hits to their name since Lou Graham left. Lou Graham now comes out and says, gee, Jan Winner, one of the biggest scumbags in the history of rock and roll. Jan Winner has a personal vendetta, quote unquote, against the founder of Foreigner, Mick Jones. 
That is why, in Lou Graham's estimation, Foreigner isn't getting a sniff, a nomination. They're not showing up on the ballot for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Do I doubt him? Absolutely not. Jan Winter is one of the worst things that ever happened to rock and roll. Jan Winter is all about Jan Winter. He's an egomaniac. He's a hedonist. He's a nut job. And he should not be the guy shepherding or now unofficially shepherding the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Of course, he has, quote unquote, stepped back from his duties. You can't tell me he's still not lurking in the shadows, whispering in the ear of the current heads of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, telling them what to do, how to do it, how high to jump, when to jump. Marionettes, puppets on a string. And of course, one of the bands that Jan Winner loves beyond all belief his magazine is pretty much named after them. That would be the Rolling Stones. Moving on to some better stuff. We're not going to rip on the Rolling Stones. We love the Rolling Stones here on the Fortress of Rock. Very, very interesting little tease here for what looks like a new album from the Stones coming this fall. An overseas newspaper ad and of course a website incorporating a lot of song titles classic song titles from the stones have been used in these ads and on this website teasing a new album possibly called hackney diamonds get out there google it check it out the newspaper involved in these ads has pretty much confirmed they're ecstatic that the Stones, their management, their record label chose them to launch this PR campaign for the new album from arguably the greatest rock and roll band of all time. Oh no, I've upset Beatles fans. I personally go Van Halen, but that's just me. The Eurythmics. Yes, I know. I, why am I talking about the Eurythmics? Well, they're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Another example of how Jan Wenner has screwed rock and roll over completely and totally. There is no way the Eurythmics should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and Foreigner doesn't even get close along with ario speedwagon sticks kansas but i digress the eurythmics again talk about a money grab we all hate how the concert business works the exorbitant prices the artists pointing fingers at everybody but themselves Ticketmaster and Live Nation saying, we're just a business. We are just in it to make as much money as possible by screwing the fans. Well, the Eurythmics, Dave Stewart, going out on tour for the 40th anniversary of 
their breakthrough album, Sweet Dreams Are Made of This. But he will be going out on tour without Annie Lennox? Then it's not the Eurythmics. It's not even close. How do you how do you justify going out on tour as the Eurythmics without the voice of the Eurythmics in a duo? And I know Dave Stewart is a very accomplished, well-respected producer, a jack of all trades. But come on. Come on, don't do this. This is just embarrassing to call yourself and whatever guest vocalist you bring along, the Eurythmics, without Annie Lennox, that's a joke. That's an absolute joke. And I would never, ever, ever spend one penny to buy a ticket to see that. Now, somebody I completely and totally respect, loved, admired, long gone, missed beyond belief, prolific beyond belief, as we have found out here over the last couple decades. Unlike Van Halen, the Prince vaults have been wide open, and we are getting bombarded with unreleased material from the purple one. And I love it. I love it. We should be able to hear each and every snippet, demo, experiment. This is the problem with a band like Van Halen. Oh, we can't let anything out of the vault. It's so secret, so precious. So you're not going to let your fans hear it. This is what makes Prince awesome, is obviously his estate There was an arrangement where Prince said, if something happens to me, let it all out. Now do it responsibly. Don't do it all at once. But get my music out there for my fans to enjoy. So now, on October the 27th, we are getting, you're going to love this. This is a little bit excessive, but again, I'd rather have excessive than nothing. A seven CD, 12 album set commemorating Diamonds and Pearls. 47, yes, 47 unreleased tracks, demos, live cuts, anything and everything they could put together remotely connected to Diamonds and Pearls, will be on this collection. Again, out October the 27th. Now the 7-CD set will also include a Blu-ray. Again, I'm all down with this. I know I talked about the Van Halen, the Collection 2, where we're getting next to nothing in terms of, oh, we're giving you a B-side. We're giving you the three tracks that Sammy Hagar did with Van Halen off of uh, Best of Both Worlds. 
and we're giving you the two songs off the Twister soundtrack. Ooh, guess what? Van Halen Completists already have all those songs. We want the stuff from the vault. And again, I admire Prince. I admire his estate for considering the fans over the last 10, 20 years in letting us hear all of this amazing music. Let us sift through the demos. Let us sift through the outtakes. We'll decide what's worth keeping, what's probably redundant and not worth hanging on to. But let us decide. We're the fans, okay? We should matter the most. All right, let's wrap up segment one, News of the World, with some new music news. Now, we reviewed Dirty Honey here a few weeks back. New song came out. Now we get confirmation that finally Dirty Honey has a new album coming out. November the 3rd, Dirty Honey's new LP is Can't find the breaks. So we will definitely be reviewing that as we get into the holiday season and the cold, cold months of winter, which right now, again, in the mid-90s here in the Midwest seems so, so far away. But if you live here, you know it'll turn on a dime We'll go from the mid-90s to the mid-40s in a month. And then finally, the best news of all. Let's end on a high note here in News of the World. Now, I love Rival Sons. I have been talking them up nonstop here on the Fortress for a year and a half, ever since I saw them open for Greta Van Fleet early in 2022. I have bought their albums, back catalog stuff, new stuff. Of course, their brand new album, Dark Fighter, was delayed mysteriously, in my opinion. There was no reason to delay Dark Fighter like they did. Eventually, we got it here at the beginning of summer. Great album, only eight songs, though. So it made me wonder, why only eight songs? They've been sitting on their hands for years, like a lot of other bands. Why only eight songs? Well, now we find out why. I have issues with this. Let me explain. The Rival Sons have announced the release of Lightbringer, a companion LP to Darkfighter. Lightbringer will be out October the 20th. The first single, Sweet Life, is out now and it is awesome. Next week, we'll have a review of that for you. We'll talk more about that when we get to wrap it up in segment four. But here's my problem. So the, the initial album, Dark Fighter, eight tracks. Lightbringer, 
barely an LP. Six songs. Seems like a little bit of a money grab to me. Again, I know in this day and age, can you really call it a money grab? Because nobody's buying CDs. Most people listen to these albums on Spotify or Pandora. I'm the, the sucker. I'm one of the few, the proud, who still buys physical music when I can. I can tell you right now, I'm not buying Lightbringer. I'll get the MP3 version because I looked on Amazon. Their pre-order for the physical CD of Lightbringer is $15 for six songs. Whereas they're posting the price for the six song MP3 version at $4.99. So guess which one I'm opting for. I'll burn a copy, save myself 10 bucks. So again, I, I've shown you some disenchantment in this segment with my favorite band of all time, Van Halen. I am now showing disenchantment with my favorite new band right now, Rival Sons. So I call it like I see it. I do not play favorites like Jan Winner. But I will say again, I am looking forward to listening to the six songs that comprise Lightbringer from Rival Sons out October the 20th. And of course, next month, mid-September, I will have my review of the Rival Sons live opening up along with Interpol for the Smashing Pumpkins. Speaking of live reviews, it is time to go to a quick promo break, and I will be back with my review. An awesome, awesome show. Extreme and living color at the Hard Rock Casino in Gary, Indiana. Also have a couple song reviews for you. You do not want to miss the breakdown segment this week. Give me a minute for a promo. I'll be right back. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Fortress of Rock podcast with me, the maestro, Kevin Crane. Of course, that was segment one, the news of the world, our tribute to Freddie Mercury and Queen, where we look back at the past week in rock and roll and all the news and all the controversies that you deserve to know about. Next up is the heart of the show, the meat and potatoes breakdown, where we are going to review all the new songs, all the new albums, all the new concert tours, the shows that I've seen personally. Stay tuned for that. Of course, we're now available on Spotify, Anchor, Apple, Stitcher, CastBox, Google, Pocket Cast, and Radio Public, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Hang out, kids. We'll be right back. Segment two, ready to go here. 
The Fortress of Rock, episode 106, dropping on August the 25th, 2023. Of course, each and every Friday night, you can find me with a new episode, The Maestro, Kevin Crane, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. We will run down the list of those platforms in the next segment. But for now, we need to save as much time as possible. With a limit of 30 minutes per segment, this segment might take up the entire 30 minutes because we have a massive concert review for you. Extreme and Living Color. At the Hard Rock Casino in Gary, Indiana. August the 17th, 2023. I have been waiting and waiting and waiting for years and years and decades to see Extreme. Gary Sharon, Nuno Betancourt, Pat Badger. Have always loved, always admired the intensity, the creativity that Extreme brings to the table. They are not just about more than words and wholehearted. And the diehard fans who were there in full force know what I'm talking about. Of course, the concert happened at the Hard Rock Casino in Gary, Indiana. First time I've ever been to the venue. Very nice. Very nice. It's a casino, though, so keep that in mind. They're there to take your money. So not a lot of places to dine around the casino, so you're stuck pretty much eating there, and you're going to pay $20 for a hamburger. Let's put it that way. And then if you're like me, of course, because two of these bands, both of these bands playing, I had to have shirts for both. So I went over the top and indulged, got a living color shirt and an extreme shirt. And I'm fine with it. Absolutely fine. Two awesome, awesome shirts. So let's get into the concert itself. Now, I have never, ever, ever gotten to see living color as a headliner, which is still killing me to this day. But at least now. I've gotten to see them three times as an opening act. Once for Aerosmith, once for Everclear. Can't believe they had to open for Everclear, by the way. And now once for Extreme. Now, I had heard going in from a good friend of mine that some guys on the local radio station... We're talking about the tour, the show, how much they wanted to go see it. So they had done some research to see what the reactions were for the Thicker Than Blood tour. And they pretty much nailed it. They said, we're hearing extreme set list, extreme show is phenomenal. Living color, while always fantastic. Corey Glover, of course, can sing the phone book, and it would be awesome. 
Corey Glover, of course, one of my favorite lead vocalists, lead singers of all time. But we heard that they played a lot of cover songs, which they did kind of, sort of. I think my problem with Living Color's set list on this particular night was more that they're, they're, they're stuck. They're obsessed with certain songs in their catalog that they should not be obsessed with. And I'll get to that in a second. But they did start the show off with a cover song. They played Led Zeppelin's Rock and Roll. Then they get into Middleman and Desperate People. And then Glamour Boys. So right now, unbelievable start. Even taking into account the cover song to start the set, they have pulled out three of the big guns from their catalog with Middleman, Desperate People, and Glamour Boys. This is where things bog down a little bit in the 50-minute set from Living Color. So they want to pay tribute to the the passing of Sinead O'Connor, so they do a short version of Nothing Compares to You. And again, as I said just a minute ago, Corey Glover can sing anything and make it fantastic. But then we get Ignorance is Bliss. For some reason, they are obsessed with this song from their catalog. Ignorance is Bliss is a fine song. Living Color being one of my favorite bands of all time, I'll take it. But you are leaving better songs on the sidelines in favor of Ignorance is Bliss. And I don't understand why every show they feel like they've got to play Ignorance is Bliss. It is not even in the top 20. Top 30, I would dare say, of their catalog in terms of quality songs. Then we get their tribute to hip-hop. Because, of course, very significant anniversary here recently of hip-hop, the birth of hip-hop, the advent of hip-hop. I checked out. I have to admit it. I was already tired at this show. I was already barely hanging on, which again, I explained last week is a big reason why I did not go see Nickelback, ZZ Top, and Leonard Skinner on the weekend extravaganza that my friends did. But I did not need this tribute to hip hop. That did not help matters especially when I had a water buffalo sitting next to me who should have had to buy two seats, thrashing her arms around. The happiest moment of her life as she almost elbows me in the face over and over again. As Living Color does their little tribute medley to hip-hop. Then they, they decide to, to go with Elvis is Dead. Now, I like Elvis is Dead, again, 
you can pluck almost any song from the Living Color catalog, and I'm happy with it. But again, you make a choice, and you might leave something better off to the side. And again, I don't know if I needed Elvis is Dead at this point. Then we get Time's Up, which again, they play non every time I see them without fail. They play Time's Up. That's fine. It's quick. It's nasty. It's fast. I'm cool with it. Then, of course, we get the requisite monster hit, Cult of Personality. A little bit of confusion on stage. The drummer is walking off, waving to the crowd as if the show is over. Corey Glover berates him, brings him back, and they do a cover of The Clash. Should I stay or should I go? So taking it at face value, still an unbelievable 50-minute set from Living Color because they are talented beyond belief. But where is open letter to a landlord? Where is type? Two of my favorite Living Color songs that they normally try to fit in to the set list. So I felt a little short change that they had to pay tribute to Sinead O'Connor, had to pay tribute to hip hop at the expense of two of my favorite songs out of their catalog. To me, that's a little bit of a faux pas. Took a little bit away, a little something something away from Living Color set. Then we move on to the headliner. And the headliner, for the most part, and I'm, I'm just saying one, I'll get to it, one small criticism. This was a near-perfect show. I am not exaggerating. This was a near-perfect show. The graphics behind the band, fantastic, especially when they were playing songs from Pornography. Maybe you can find some, some shots from people's cameras online that they've posted on Facebook. I'm not that guy. I have pictures. I do not share them. I'm not, again, that type of guy. Social media, to me, for the most part, sucks. Live your life. Don't make it a point to share your life with everybody else. Wasting time, taking pictures, taking selfies to share with everybody else. Live your life. Put the camera down. Enjoy the show. Anyway, 20 songs in Extremes, two-hour set. Starting off with the awesome song off their brand-new album, Six. Could be, here on the Fortress of Rock, a contender for Song of the Year, hashtag Rebel. Then we go into Decadence Dance. It's a monster, rest in peace, hip today. Then we get a nice fitting medley, not turning their backs on their first album, 
which obviously set the foundation but didn't sell all that well. They play a nice medley of Teacher's Pet, Flesh and Blood, Wind Me Up, and of course, one of the songs I wanted to hear, didn't get the full version, but that's fine, Kid Ego. Next up is Play With Me, Tragic Comic, then we get Wholehearted, knew that was coming, paired with the mid-tempo Other Side of the Rainbow from the new album, Six, they fit well side by side, they fit nicely together. Then we start to get some some songs that I wasn't necessarily expecting, but I loved, loved the fact they played Cupid's Dead. And then Am I Ever Gonna Change, which is a phenomenal song. So happy they played that. Now, I am, I am looking at a list of songs from setlist.fm, which is my usual go-to source, a wiki where fans put together the set list for a particular show. This is the point where I start to question if this set list is accurate, because next up I get a, I get Midnight Express. I'm not 100% sure on this, if that's accurate. Then More Than Words, yes. Then Banshee, yes, Banshee, of course, the third single off the new album, six. Then my personal highlight of the night, a song off the last album, their fifth album, Saudades de Rock. Take Us Alive is just such an awesome, propulsive, fun song. My highlight of the night. Then we get, again, this is where I'm questioning the accuracy of this set list off of setlist.fm. Then we get, of course, we've heard a lot about the connections between Van Halen and Extreme. Of course, Gary Sharon was lead singer for Van Halen for a cup of coffee. Nuno Betancourt now being hailed as the heir apparent as a guitar god to the late, great Eddie Van Halen. So Nuno sitting on a speaker stack, plays a guitar solo, obviously meant to be a tribute to the late, great EVH. Gorgeous, beautiful, beautiful. Now, I think he was playing Spanish Fly off of Van Halen 2. The set list has it listed as Flight of the Wounded Bumblebee. I'm not not going out on a limb and saying they're wrong. I'm just wondering. I was tired again. I heard Spanish Fly. I might need to do some more research here. Maybe they've updated the set list. I don't know. Magnificent either way. 
stellar, stellar, stellar either way. Then, of course, to close out the, the set before the encore, we get Get the Funk Out. Fantastic, awesome party song. Now, here is where when they come back for the encore, I have problems. One problem in particular. No problems with them playing songs off the new album. New album is very good, very solid. We've already heard three songs off the new album. We know, know, know they're going to play Rise, the first single. As well received as it has been. And again, along with Hashtag Rebel, to me, in the running for Song of the Year. But we start the encore off with the, I would dare say, weak, borderline pathetic, not even in the same ballpark in terms of mid to slow tempo, song quality is wholehearted or more than words, small town beautiful. Really? Small Town Beautiful is a song that a third grader could have wrote. And of course, if you go back and listen to my review a couple months back of Six, I will say the same thing then that I'm saying now. The song is weak. It is one of the weaker moments on Six. It was the weakest moment at this show last Thursday night. And it was the one misstep the the band made the whole night if they hadn't done this this literally could have been one of the greatest shows i've ever seen then of course as i mentioned they closed the show out with rise so bucket list show ended up meeting exceeding my expectations again with one small blip one small setless mistake but otherwise they played stuff that i love that i wasn't expecting them to play i wasn't sure how much they were going to play off of Three sides to every story. I wasn't sure how much they were going to play off waiting for the punchline. Obviously knew they were going to dive deep into porno graffiti. Very, very happy. Very pleasantly surprised at the mix of songs throughout their entire catalog. Granted, only six albums, but still extremely impressive. No pun intended. So I will say, despite my my pickiness, and I'm only picky when it comes to the bands and the concerts I really, really, really care about. If you haven't figured that out by now, what is wrong with you? When I am passionate about a concert, the bands involved in said concert, I will nitpick because I expect perfection from them. 
I didn't expect perfection from Matchbox 20. I didn't expect perfection from Foreigner and Loverboy. I didn't expect perfection from Godsmack. Here, I expected perfection. I know what Living Color is capable of. I assumed, based on what I've heard from friends, what I've seen and heard online, what Extreme is capable of. And it was just that close, so close to perfection. If you have a chance with just a few dates left here in August before they go overseas, if you somewhere out there in the United States are close to a venue where you can see extreme and living color, by all means, do it. Do it. Overpay for the tickets. I mean, feed your kids, pay your mortgage, but still, if you've got a little extra money and you need to pay a little extra, go see this show. It is fantastic. All right, so we have two new songs to review this week. First up, brand new song from Guns N' Roses. The song is Perhaps. Now, I've talked to some friends of mine. They're not overly impressed with this song. More more so because it's more Axel, piano, not a lot of slash on guitar. It does sound to me a little bit like a more compressed, tighter version, in a way, of November Rain. But I like it. I like it. Maybe it's just because I'm desperate for new Guns N' Roses. And this the way they're, they're piecemealing out these new songs. And again, Van Halen got criticized for doing this with their final album, A Different Kind of Truth. Again, I hate to bash constantly on one of my favorite websites, but Ultimate Classic Rock recently ranked all of the David Lee Roth era Van Halen songs, and they basically dumped all the songs from A Different Kind of Truth at the back end. And that's wrong, and it's stupid. And whoever reviewed it is an idiot. Because there are so many songs on that album. Yes, they are reworked versions. Not all of them, but just over half are re- reworked versions of demos, songs that never really made it from Van Halen's early years. So they revisited those songs, they reworked the lyrics, they re recorded them, and made a phenomenal final album even though at the time we didn't know it was going to be the final album now with guns and roses they're reworking a lot of stuff from the epic sessions for chinese democracy of course slash and duff mckagan had nothing to do with gnr at that point Everything is fine in the GNR camp now, obviously. All the old wounds seem to have been healed. 
The lawsuits have all been settled, it seems like. Unlike Journey, we're not getting weekly drama out of the GNR camp. Who would have thought that a decade ago? So perhaps, again, piano-driven sounds to me like a, a variation on November Rain, but a much shorter, more compressed, arguably more intense and even enjoyable variation on November Rain. So check out, perhaps, I like it. Sorry about the aside there, but I feel like the comparisons between what GNR is doing now with releasing these revamped, reworked versions of songs from the Chinese democracy sessions, it's just too close to what Van Halen did with a different kind of truth. And again, I'm going to say it one more time. And hopefully I never have to bash Ultimate Classic Rock again. That article where you are ranking all the David Lee Roth era songs and putting all these great songs from a different kind of truth at the back end, you're stupid. Whoever wrote this article, whoever ranked these songs is an idiot and is not a Van Halen fan. You're not a Van Halen fan. You're just not. You're putting almost every song from a different kind of truth behind Dancing in the Street. Give me a break. Bullethead is 10 times better than Dancing in the Street. It's better even though I love Where Have the Good Times Gone, it's better than that. Stop clinging to the past, the distant past. Realize that the last album was truly great. So that leaves us with Alice Cooper. Alice Cooper, third single off... The new album, Road, which actually is out today, August the 25th. We'll discuss that a little bit more in the fourth and final segment. But the third single is Welcome to the Show. Now, we've reviewed the first two singles. There's something about this triumvirate of songs that I don't like. Even though I have given positive reviews to the first two songs, now listening to the third single, Welcome to the Show, I feel like I'm being conned a little bit. I feel like I'm being tricked. Alice Cooper seems to be playing some kind of a caricature of himself. The lyrics are starting to sound like a parody of Alice Cooper. He's better than this. He is better than this. Sometimes you have to look in retrospect at things that you maybe liked a month ago, two months ago, two years ago, two decades ago, and realize that maybe I got hoodwinked or maybe it hasn't aged well. 
in listening to the third single off of Road, Welcome to the Show, I feel like I'm being tricked a little bit by old Alice. I think this is a lot lazier than the first two singles led me to believe. I think I think the energy and the passion that I kind of heard on the first two releases was kind of a I was being hoodwinked because now listening to Welcome to the Show I just feel like the lyrics are more generic and then I look back at the first two songs and I go yeah maybe the lyrics on the first two songs were pretty generic too and there's so many stale cliches. We'll still review Road down the road here on the Fortress of Rock, but I'm I'm more on the fence now about this than I was after hearing the first two songs. You be the judge. You want to hop on, listen to Road. You can uh, evaluate it for yourself, formulate your own review, and then we can compare notes in the next couple weeks when we get to that particular album here on the Fortress of Rock. But for now, we are done. We've pretty much hit our 30-minute time limit for this segment. Breakdown is over. But now, exciting times as Doc Brown and I get into the Rock and Roll DeLorean and prepare to travel back in time. I've said it once already on the show. I will say it again in the next segment. As we go back through rock and roll history in I Want to Go Back, segment three, as always, I put forth my case. I'm like the Perry Mason of rock and roll. I put forth my case that August the 25th could be the most significant day on the calendar in rock history. Hang out through a quick promo break, and I will be back with Doc Brown as we fire up the Rock and Roll DeLorean to 1.21 gigawatts, and I tell you why. August the 25th is awesome beyond belief when it comes to rock and roll history. I'm the maestro. We'll be right back. All right, now that we've looked at the current state of music in our breakdown segment, it is time to climb into the DeLorean and travel back in time to look back at moments in rock and roll history, birthdays, deaths, anniversaries of song and album releases. It is time for I Want to Go Back our tribute to Eddie Money. Stay tuned. And as always, we're on Spotify, Anchor, Apple, Stitcher, CastBox, Google, Pocket Cast, and Radio Public, anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcasts. All right, everybody, we are back. Episode 106 of the Fortress of Rock here on August the 25th, 2023. I've got Doc Brown by my side. 
the rock and roll DeLorean, fired up to 1.21 gigawatts. It is time to go into the rock and roll slipstream, the time stream. Do you want to go mainstream? No, we don't do that here. Time to go back. I want to go back. Segment three is always our tribute to the late, great Eddie Money. Birthdays, anniversaries, moments of significance in rock and roll history. Now, I will make a bold proclamation about this segment after I take care of some business. Let's start off with sources this time around. Let's throw you a curveball. I know a lot about music. There are some out there that might know more. Not many, but a few. So as I prep this podcast each and every week, I do need a little help, a little assistance from three main sources. UltimateClassicRock.com, ThisDayInMusic.com, and the mighty Van Halen News Desk. Now, of course, you're hearing the sound of my voice, so you have found me somewhere, somehow, on some podcast platform. But you have options. Life is all about options. We should all have options. This one's going to be bittersweet, and you'll get it in just a second here. You can find The Fortress of Rock on Spotify, Google, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, Apple, Overcast, CastBox, Amazon Music, Audible, iHeartRadio, and for just a few more days, breaks my heart, this is the last time that I will tell you, you can find The Fortress of Rock on Stitcher. Stitcher is going away as of August the 29th. Farewell, good friend. Farewell. All right, my bold proclamation. August the 25th might very well be the most important day in rock and roll history. There's not a single event that sets it apart. It's not the Beatles broke up or the Beatles got together or Keith Moon died, or John Bonham died, all very significant moments in rock history. But when you look at the amalgam of birthdays and moments in rock history that occurred on August the 25th, argue with me. I dare you to debate the fact that August the 25th might be the most significant day in rock and roll history. So let's start off with birthdays. Now, in the past, I have talked about how much I loved Wilco's album from back in 2001, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. The mastermind, the leader of that band, Wilco, Jeff Tweedy. Born on this day, August the 25th, 1967. Of course, new album 
coming out. Of course, we'll review that one once it comes out here on the Fortress. A hard rock survivor, a man I admire, not only for the bands he's been in, but how he survived cancer. August the 25th, 1962 is the birthday of one Vivian Campbell, formerly of Dio, formerly of Whitesnake, currently an integral part of the lineup for Def Leppard. I told you, it gets better. Momentum is building. Wait. All right, wait. A little bit of a squealing of the brakes here. August the 25th, 1961, the man that gave us, in a roundabout way, technically his wife gave us, Miley Cyrus. On this day in 1961, Billy Ray Cyrus was born. Not only the man who gave us Miley Cyrus, but also achy, breaky heart. Yay. I guess there's no denying, though, the impact the song had. It's kind of like You Light Up My Life, the worst song ever recorded. But somehow I have to acknowledge it because it was so unbelievably popular in its time. Now the birthdays really become impressive. August the 25th, 1954. One Declan McManus was born. And if you're not a rock and roll devotee, you probably don't know who that is. That is Elvis Costello. Yes, Elvis Costello, born on this day in 1954. I like Elvis Costello, don't love him. Of course, here within the last few years, he recently pulled some woke PC stuff where he says he's not going to play Oliver's Army, one of his biggest hits, live anymore because of a term he uses in the song. And of course, we talked in segment one about what's happening with Queen and Fat Bottom Girls. Cancel culture needs to go away. You snowflakes out there with an agenda need to go away. Leave us alone. Let us listen to what we want. I don't see you yelling and screaming about rap music and all the offensive, insidious, awful crap that's in rap music, but you can't wait to rip apart rock and roll songs. You can't wait to cancel rock songs. Elvis Costello, born on this day in 1954. Speaking of somebody else, who Tipper Gore and the PMRC tried to cancel before we even coined the phrase cancel culture, that would be my man, lead singer of Judas Priest Rob Halford, born August the 25th, 
1951. Nobody cares if Rob Halford is gay or straight. All we care about is that the man rocks. And that right there should prove to you there is no prejudice, there is no bias, there is no bigotry for true rock and roll fans. I don't care what Rob Halford does when he's off the stage. Let him live his life the way he wants to live his life, but the man is a rock and roll god. Speaking of rock and roll gods, I'm telling you, kids, the momentum is going to keep snowballing. August the 25th, 1949. The birthday of one, Gene Simmons, bass player, vocalist for KISS. Of course, by now you guys all know how I feel about KISS. Probably the most influential band to me growing up in terms of rock and roll. Until, ironically, Gene Simmons' discovery, Van Halen, trumped them, overtook them, and never did I ever look back. But Kiss is still fantastic, still holds a place in my rock and roll heart. I love, love, love them. This December, when they finally wrap up their farewell tour after years and years, I will shed a tear. Then finally, a little bit off the path of rock and roll, but still we have to acknowledge all types of music, especially when the person involved is extremely important. Going all the way back over a hundred years to August the 25th of 1918. One of the most important, most significant composers of all time. Yes, I know there are people out of Beethoven, Brahms, Bach. Leonard Bernstein was born on this day in 1918. Of course, one of his more notable works, West Side Story. Now we move on. If that wasn't enough to make my case here in the court of rock and roll law for August the 25th being the most significant day of the year in rock history, I'm not even done. Haven't even started with anniversaries yet. First couple, eh. Let it simmer, let it build. It'll get there. First up, August the 25th, 2018. Neil Young marries actress Daryl Hannah. Of course, you guys know I'm not the biggest fan of Neil Young in the world, but kind of an interesting match here. 
course, Daryl Hannah came to fame in the movie Splash with Tom Hanks. And, of course, also known as L. Driver in Kill Bill. One of Quentin Tarantino's movies, a double shot. Of course, Kill Bill 1, Kill Bill 2. Even though everything is all peachy keen, fine and dandy right now with the guys in Guns N' Roses, if we go back to August the 25th of 2005, Slash and Duff McKagan actually sued Axl Rose because Axl Rose had appointed himself sole administrator of copyrights for Guns N' Roses. Now, we all know GNR, for a time, was quote-unquote Axl Rose's band. As Slash went on to do the Velvet Revolver stuff, um, of course, some solo work, and then now doing some wonderful, awesome, fantastic music with Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators. But we remember Chinese democracy, which took forever and ever to finally get out. And of course, now, ironically, the band pulling from the sessions for Chinese democracy to put out some of their new music. A sad, sad day, August the 25th, 1995. I was a huge fan growing up of Billy Joel, still a big fan, but of course, as you know, he stopped writing, performing in the studio, pop and rock and roll. He's composed classical music. He still tours and plays his old hits, but The Stranger, Glass Houses, 52nd Street, the Nylon Curtain, some phenomenal, fantastic albums. And on a lot of those albums, on bass, was one Doug Stegmeier. And unfortunately, on this day in 1995, at the age of 43, Doug Stegmeier, bass player for the Billy Joel Band, committed suicide. Now things get a little more interesting. In my humble opinion, one of the greatest rock and roll songs of all time. Cannot debate it. Try, you will lose. August the 25th, 1979. The Max My Sharona, begins a run at number one on the U.S. singles chart. My Sharona is, again, one of the most phenomenal songs ever recorded. The long version, not the short version, not the radio edit version, the long version with Burton of Air's absolutely killer guitar solo. You might call me biased. You guys know by now I love the Knack. 
one of my favorite bands of all time, never got the recognition they deserved after the initial push with My Sharona and Get the Knack. A very loyal core fan base throughout the years, throughout the decades, that never gave up on them, myself included. When Doug Feger, lead singer, frontman, died, broke our hearts. Broke our hearts. On this day, 1979, My Sharona. My Sharona, number one on the U.S. singles chart. But wait, there's more. One of the most important albums of the rock era released on this day, August the 25th, 1975. The third album from Bruce Springsteen. Born to Run, released on this day in 1975. And I've had my issues. I've criticized some of the things Bruce Springsteen has done, mostly away from the studio and away from the stage, except, of course, for the ridiculous dynamic ticket pricing debacle here recently. But... Can't deny the impact of Born to Run. One of the most important albums ever in the rock and roll era. Released on this day, August the 25th, 1975. August the 25th, 1973. When I mention this to you, you might not get it right away. The number one single in the U.S. on this day, the one-hit wonders known as The Stories, with the song Brother Louie. What? Huh? What? Louie, 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 Louie. There you go. Now you know it, right? Now you know the song. August the 25th, 1973, Brother Louie, number one song in the U.S. Here's another momentous occasion, huge, mammoth anniversary in rock history. August the 25th of 1970, he just retired from touring, but on this day in 1970, Elton John made his live debut in the U.S. at the Troubadour in Los Angeles. Star-studded audience came to check him out, and the rest, as the kids say, is history. Going back to August the 25th, 1967. After a two-year break, a two-year hiatus, Brian Wilson 
rejoins the Beach Boys live. Of course, many can argue that the Beach Boys are one of the, if not the most important American rock band of all time. Some would say Aerosmith, I would say Van Halen. Some would throw the Eagles in there. And we all know all those bands, all those bands, without exception, tumultuous histories. And the Beach Boys were no exception. Of course, Brian Wilson, well-documented issues with mental health. But back in 1967, he did rejoin the Beach Boys playing live once again. And finally, as I make my case one last time for August the 25th being the most important day on the calendar in rock history, I've given you Elvis Costello, Rob Halford, Gene Simmons in terms of birthdays. I've given you my Sharona, number one song, Born to Run, released. Elton John, live American debut. Finally, August the 25th, 1962, Little Eva, number one in the U.S. with a song that has been covered and redone time and time again because it's a classic. Little Eva, number one, in 1962 with The Locomotion. So again, put a comment on the Facebook page. Go ahead, do it. Tell me a more important day in rock history than August the 25th. And don't just tell me one event. Again, I don't want to hear the Beatles broke up. That's the most important day. No, there has to be multiple things going on. Multiple birthdays, multiple events that happened on that day. And of course, I forgot to mention the Facebook page earlier, so why not do it now? Every Friday right around the time that the new episode of the Fortress of Rock drops, we have our Weekend Rock Project, where I give you a theme, a band, a word. You come up with songs that match that particular band or theme or word. I am keeping this week's under wraps you're gonna have to go out to the fortress of rock facebook page to find out what i have in store for you this weekend of course last weekend was the zz top leonard skinnerd double bill so i asked for your favorite songs from zz top and leonard skinnerd And again, unfortunately, that was one weekend where I let you guys down. I did not go, did not partake. So, 
once we get through here, get to our break, get to segment four, I will give you the revised schedule of what's coming up over the next three or four weeks. Still a lot of live music to review. So don't you worry about that. Then, of course, on the Facebook page, every Sunday is New Music Sunday. Last weekend, it was perhaps Guns N' Roses. We just reviewed that song in the last segment and breakdown. I have a feeling. I have a feeling. Not going to commit to it yet, but I have a feeling this new Rival Sons I still can't believe they're calling it an LP with only six songs. It's more of an EP, and I don't like, as I mentioned in the first segment, I don't like how this kind of looks like a money grab. I get 14 songs is probably a little much for one full album. Still could have probably pulled it off, but Lightbringer being only six songs is really disappointing. That being said, I have a feeling this weekend, if I can dig up a video, even if it's just a a lyric video for the brand new song, Sweet Life, pretty sure that's going to be what you find on the Facebook page for New Music Sunday. I shouldn't talk any more about Rival Sons because I'm going to talk more about them in the last segment. Talked about them in the first segment. We'll have a review for you, not only of Sweet Life, but of Rival Sons Live. So, without further ado, once again, I close my case on August the 25th as the greatest day in rock and roll history. Doc Brown looks at me with his typical ambivalence. I guess that's better than outright dismissal. So we pull the rock and roll DeLorean back into the garage here at the fortress, pull up the moat, the the drawbridge over the moat. I don't have those kind of biblical powers. We can actually pull up a moat, part the Red Sea, pull up a moat. But one last promo break. Once again, I will say yes. I know they're dated. I've got to fix them, especially now with Stitcher leaving us. A couple more minutes left with Wrap It Up. I'll be right back, kids. Well, we hope you enjoyed our trip back in time, looking back at the anniversaries, the classic moments in rock and roll history. But of course, the DeLorean works both ways. So now we have to move forward. The last segment here, as always, on the Fortress of Rock with me, the maestro Kevin Crane. Spotify, Anchor, Apple, Stitcher, CastBox, Google, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. It's all about the future. What's coming out here in the next month or two? What songs? What albums? What concert tours? That's why we call it Wrap It Up. Thanks to the fabulous Thunderbirds. 
Thanks to you for hanging out. Here comes our final segment. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Fortress of Rock, episode 106, here on August the 25th, 2023. We just finished up our traveling back into time with I Want to Go Back, Now It Is Time, of course, each and every week, segment four, wrap it up. Acknowledging the fabulous Thunderbirds. Looking ahead to what we've got coming up over the next month or so in Breakdown, our reviews of new music, new albums, new concerts. So again, I'm not going to reiterate, repeat my sob story about why I didn't go to see Nickelback and ZZ Top and Leonard Skinner. Just trust me in the end when I tell you I made the right choice. Monetarily, just just trust me. Sometimes you have to make the adult decision. But still have at least three more concerts on the agenda here for the next month, including next week, episode 107, Dropping on September the 1st, I will give you my review of Simple Plan, Sum 41, and The Offspring live in Noblesville, Indiana. Cannot wait. The Offspring been on my bucket list in terms of bands that I have never seen before live. So I'm looking forward to that. Actually, I will be at the show right around the time this episode drops on Friday, August the 25th. In two weeks, a little bit of a gap with the live music. So we're looking at possibly reviewing the third act, the third CD in Smashing Pumpkin's latest opus, Autumn. Also, possibly coming up within the next few weeks, we could be reviewing the new Alice Cooper album, Road, which again, just like the Offspring show happening today, August the 25th, Road by Alice Cooper hits today, August the 25th. So a review of that could be forthcoming over the next few weeks. Now, in three weeks, episode 109, hitting on September the 15th, I will have my review of Smashing Pumpkins, Interpol, and Rival Sons live in concert again at Noblesville, Indiana, Deer Creek, the Ruoff Music Center, whatever you want to call it. And then, two weeks after that, Megadeth, live in concert. So yes, missed one opportunity, but we have come through on so many more. We've got so many more other great live shows coming up. You're really not missing much. 
in terms of songs, again, been talking a lot about Rival Sons. One of these bands, they've been around for a while. I still call them a new band because I discovered them last year opening for Greta Van Fleet. Have been in love with them ever since. They are fantastic. Again, not a fan of what they're doing here with Dark Fighter, Lightbringer. If they were two full albums, I'd be all down with it. All down with it. But again, Lightbringer, only six songs, kind of troubles me. Seems like a little bit of a money grab. But we will review the new single, the first single off of Lightbringer from Rival Sons. That song is Sweet Life. We should have that for you next week here on the Fortress of Rock. Still looking to review the second single from Paul Rogers' upcoming solo album. That song is Take Love. And I know, I know. Beating a dead horse here. Still have some songs that are out there from The Pretenders to possibly review, but the new album comes out in its entirety on September the 15th, so I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. You guys know I'm not the biggest fan of The Pretenders. I don't really know if I want to, I don't want to say waste my time, but waste my time with the pretenders. Um, we'll see. We'll see how desperate we get at the end of September, the beginning of October, when things get a little lean. Then, of course, I would love to review the entire album, I.O., from Peter Gabriel. Still have three songs out there out of the six that have been released that I have not reviewed yet. I would just love to review the whole album, but we still don't have a firm release date for IO yet. This is what you get with the fickle, sensitive genius. As so many members of the rock and roll community are. But we'll get there eventually. We'll review it eventually. But that's going to do it. I bid you a fond farewell from the Fortress of Rock. Another episode in the books. We'll do it again in seven days. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Again, I will still one last time make my case for August the 25th as the the most important day in rock and roll history. Beyond that, have a great, safe weekend. And as always, love the one you're with. I am the maestro Kevin Crane. I'm out.